Thanks for listening to our Legacy Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Christ and you visit us soon at our Legacy Church campus in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. For more information, visit us online at www.legacychurchri.com. Jesus, the King of Kings, amen? If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read this passage of Scripture as what Jesus just read. And if you have your Bible, maybe you could underline this. But the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. So here Jesus as we read in the book of Luke, was reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And it was on the Sabbath day, and it was in a synagogue in Nazareth. And Nazareth is where Jesus and his family lived during his childhood until his older years when he got into ministry. And it was after him and his family had fleed from Bethlehem to Egypt, as we know the story, that King Herod was about to kill all the children up to two years old. And an angel appeared to Joseph and warned them. So they flee to Egypt, and then they went back to settle in Nazareth. Ultimately, they moved to Capernaum. But what's interesting about the story that we many times miss is even though Jesus wasn't living in Nazareth anymore, they were living in Capernaum, which is an area of Galilee, a fish village, he went back to his childhood town to pronounce and make declaration that he is the Messiah, that he is the God. And he didn't go back to Nazareth because he wanted to make a giant splash. And there were a lot of people in a giant city because it wasn't at all. It was just the opposite. And I believe he went back, and theologians believe, that he went back to this little town because that's where his childhood friends were. That's where his family friends were. And he went back to tell them everything you've been hoping for, everything you've been praying, I have good news. It is coming to pass in me, in me. And I thought about that and I'm saying, isn't that what happens to us when we receive Christ and we're changed by the Holy Spirit and we're awakened by God? Who do we go to? We go to our friends, we go to our family, and we say, something's happened to me. Jesus has come to me. So Jesus goes, and he reads from this passage of Scripture, which was nothing unusual, because on the Sabbath day, that's what they would typically do. They would read a passage of Scripture from the Torah, the five books that were written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they would read a passage of Scripture. So, so there was nothing unusual of what Jesus was doing. It was typical. But what was the absolute shock, the scandal, was when Jesus said, today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, in Luke 4, 21. See, it was okay for Jesus to be the carpenter's son. It was okay for Jesus to be the little Jesus, 
the child Jesus, the little kid that worked with his dad in making tables. And I don't know if they made chairs back then, because they used to lay down. <laughs> but it wasn't okay for him to be God Almighty. And isn't it the same today? That we live in a time of growing secularism, pressure, where it's okay to have a little God, it's okay to have a little of church, it's okay to have a little of scripture, but keep it to yourself. It is not okay to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's not okay to declare that he's everything. That there's no other way. There's no other solution. It's not okay to declare that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. You might get shut off at that point. But listen, we cannot live. You cannot live. I cannot live with a little God. We cannot live with the world's definition of who Jesus should be. We cannot live in a safe zone. You know, after Jesus said those words, they tried to kill him and throw him off a cliff. And he somehow got away. Probably had some invisible angels, you know, pushing everybody away. See, we need a God, like Jesus said, who brings good news. We need to be people who go into our Nazareths to bring good news. We need to be a people who will stand up and be bold and proclaim there's freedom for you. That you are captive to a world of sin. You are captive to a system that keeps you in bondage. But there's good news. God has come to bring favor, like Jesus said. He came to proclaim, this year, this year is the year of the Lord's favor. We need to declare it over ourselves. We need to declare it over our friends, over our families, over our workplaces. Because it's not enough to just preach Jesus, the carpenter's son. It's not enough. See, if you have a little God in your life, you'll have a little life. And your kids will have a little God in their lives, someone that they can fit into their lifestyle. And when you have a little God, you'll never have a God who's able, in this world that we live in, to overcome the insurmountable problems that we face in our families, in our homes, in our, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in the world that we live in. See, to fix big problems, you need a big, bold God. To fix big problems, you need a big, bold faith. To fix big problems, you need to call into a world where you have angels that come by the legions, the power of the Holy Spirit who comes, not as a little carpenter's son, 
but as Almighty God, wonderful counselor, savior, deliverer, a person who comes to set us free, God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes completely. He just doesn't come and say, hey, fit me in. Try to go to church at least once a week. Well, they say the majority of people, you know, go to church once and twice a month, which is a complete violation of the scripture, honor the Sabbath. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things are added unto you. But he comes into your life completely. You know, I see Jesus, when he steps into a room, he comes with all his tools. When he steps into your life, he comes with all his tools. He's not afraid to offend you. He's not afraid to work on you. Some of you, he has to pull out a hammer. Some of you have some screws loose. He's got his giant screwdriver. Sometimes he comes in with his EKG machine. I got to get this person's heart fixed. He comes in completely. He comes in and declares, this is who I am. Do you want me in my entirety? Because we need a complete Jesus. Amen? You know, last week we learned um, that Jesus isn't someone like anybody else, that a person who was born 2,000 years ago and books were written or a book was written about him, you know, like, like Martin Luther King was born, a great man, and a book was written about him, George Washington, Samuel Adams, Abraham Lincoln. There's no comparison. There's no comparison to Jesus of Nazareth. There's no comparison to Jesus, Almighty God, wonderful counselor, savior, deliverer, healer, the one who brings favor, who fixes our lives. There's no comparison. You cannot compare Jesus. Jesus isn't a new age figure. You know, it's cool to have Jesus, you know. He helps you float around the galaxy from star to star. You can't compare Jesus to Buddha. He was a lot better shaped than Buddha. <laughs> to Hare Krishna. To Muhammad. There's no comparison. No one else was foretold about. We learned last week that throughout the Old Testament, written thousands of years before Jesus Christ, it all pointed to his coming to the earth. It speaks of his existence. Through the stories of the Old Testament, we see the character of Jesus Christ. You read the Old Testament, and you read the word, and say, my goodness, this, is, this character is just like Jesus. And we learned about Abraham and Isaac last week. We won't go into it again. But you, you see all these stories, and you see Jesus. You read the, 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 the Psalms, and you read the books of the poetic and wisdom, and you see the, the coming of the Messiah, how he would be born, 
when he would be born, the time frame he would be born, the town he would be born. He would be born of a virgin, how he would die between two thieves. And you see hundreds of writings and prophecies about the one that is to come. There's no other person, no other in all of history that has been written about before they even stepped on the earth in the prophetic that he would resurrect from the dead, that his own kind would reject him. I mean, it's amazing how all these prophecies come to pass in the birth of one man named Jesus. And we see 700 years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah says in 9, verse 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The carpenter's son. No. He will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Throughout history, nations have tried to destroy Christianity. The teachings of Christ have tried to mimic and belittle the whole belief system in this man who is born as a historical figure who claimed to be God. Nations have tried to destroy Christianity. Communism and socialism have come to try to destroy faith in this man, Jesus Christ, and to say there is no absolute truth. There is no one way. Who are you to say there's one way? I am nobody. But there is one who said there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. And if Jesus said it, I believe it. If Jesus said it, I believe it. We see in the book of John, the book of John's called the book of I am, where Jesus Christ, not only do the prophets talk about Jesus, but Jesus comes and he says himself, I am. I am God. When, when Moses asked God, how do I address you? What do I tell Pharaoh who is sending me? He said, you tell him I am. And Jesus comes in the book of John, and he affirms, I am the same God that spoke to Moses. I am. And he says, after feeding the 5,000, John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Upon forgiving the adulterous woman, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isn't that good news? Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me. That's a profound statement. That Jesus says, there's no other door. You must enter by me. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says in John 10, 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life. He died for us, his sheep. 
John 11:25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Jesus says? Do you believe this? And then Jesus draws a line in the sand. And he says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See, not only does Jesus fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament, but we see and Jesus says that he is God. But then something else happens. We see that God the Father himself comes during the baptism of Jesus by John, and he speaks from heaven. I want you to get this. He says in Matthew 3.17, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, what's so significant about this? Because it's really significant, this passage of Scripture. See, Jesus showed us and gave us a whole new understanding of God. God is not only creator. He's not only the righteous judge and creator of the Old Testament. He's not only the giver of life. But God comes and speaks to Jesus as a father. He speaks to him as a father. You are my beloved son, whom I well pleased. And during this time, this was before Jesus entered into ministry. This was before he accomplished his purpose of going to the cross and taking on the agony and the sins of the world. Before any of that, before the ministry of Jesus Christ, God the Father comes and says, I love you, you are my son. Now what does that say to us? That says that it's not by your works. It's not your goodness. It's not your, if ungoodness is a word. It has nothing to do with that. God just loves you because he has created your life. God created you, and he knew you, the Bible says, before you were in your mother's womb. God has given you an incredible gift. He created you. See, it's hard for us to think of God as a personal God. See, before Christ, God was someone far off. He was in charge and, and concerned about the big things. Jesus comes and shows us God is concerned about you as an individual and that he loves you. Whether you do good works or not do good works, whether you accept him or don't accept him, he still purposed you and created you and he gave you a gift called life. And in the beauty of his love, the infinity of his love, the greatness of his love, the agape love, he loves you so much, not only did he give you a gift and an opportunity to live forever and eternity, he loved you so much that he gave you a freedom to choose. 
He gave you freedom to choose. What will you do about your relationship? And he loved you so much that he knew that he was putting you in a world that was broken in sin. But in his heart, his love for you, it was worth it because his desire is to be you, with you for eternity, forever. And so what does he do? He sends his son as a perpetuation for your sin, as an opportunity for you to get cleansed and be united with him. What will we do with Jesus? Amen? You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for you. In all your imperfections, in all your sin, in all your rebellion, in all your unbelief, in all your arrogance and pride, and, and oh, I don't believe in that stuff, you know, that Jesus stuff. You know, those Christians are crazy. I used to be one of those. I was like that. I was very humanistic in my thinking. I was so blinded. I was so overtaken by psychology and, and all the stuff that I learned at college that, that you're weak if you believe in God. And I was so indoctrinated. I was so overwhelmed and overcome by my sinful lifestyle and, and people that, that surrounded me and taught me a different gospel that I couldn't see. I couldn't see. I was blind. I was wretched. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God, how did you do it? God, how did you overcome my blindness? God, how did you open my heart? And the Lord said, I created you before you were in your mother's womb. I have a plan for you. I sent my son to die for you. Every day of your life, I tried to reach you. Sometimes someone inviting you to church is not a little thing. It's Christ actually trying to reach you. Sometimes you're watching TV and you see something. Like this movie, Jesus of Nazareth. You know how many people got saved watching this movie? Because it opened their eyes. It opened their minds. Sometimes you're hearing a song. Sometimes it's your life situations. But God says, we got to let this happen. Because this person's so blind, so hard, the only way this person's going to wake up to the reality of, of, of my love for them is if things get so bad that they cry out, I need you, God. God would do all he can to reconcile us. And Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. Again, Jesus declaring that God is a Father and Jesus declaring that he is God, that he is the way. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, the Bible says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. So you might be here today because the kingdom of God is coming to you. God is stepping into your world. I know when... when when I got saved, God came into not only my world, but he came into a sphere of people that I was hanging out with. God started revealing himself 
in, in miraculous ways to me and my group of friends. And I thank God that some of us heard the call, heard the voice, heard, saw, saw God in a whole different way, that God is a loving God. He's a friend of sinners. He loves you where you're at. He picks you up from where you're at, and he starts working with you. I want to pray today that God will not only open our minds and our hearts to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, but that God will use us to go and proclaim the good news. I think that the world is desperate for truth. But we have to be bold in our faith. We have to be bold in our faith. We have to speak. Jesus speaks through you and me. And so God will use you to reveal Christ to a broken world, to a hurting world. And I pray that during this season of Christmas that we would be the voice of Jesus Christ to our friends and our family and those that we love. Amen? Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that, that you come after all of us, Lord. You love us. You care for us. And I pray, God, that during this season, I pray awaken our faith, awaken our passion. Awaken our passion, Lord, God, to bring people to you. Awaken our passion, Lord, to speak about you. Lord, not being ashamed of you, but, Lord, to know that people are desperate to hear. And we pray, God, that we be in a time of revival and awakening. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by our Legacy Church podcast, and we hope to see you soon at our 10 a.m. church service in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. You can connect with us on any social media platform or at LegacyChurchRI.com. Have a blessed week.